No, I say it was Bubba Smith, but my friend here says it was... Hello? Hello? You said it was Bubba. Billy. Bubba. Billy. Bubba. Billy. Billy. Bubba. <laughs> Let's rock. I get a woman. No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Hey, how's everybody doing out there? This is Steven at the nudie bar, and I'm feeling woozy. Hi, Steven. And I'm Tyler, and you know what? Here at the Nudie Bar, I just finished sucking down about 20 cold ones and a few warm ones, and I'm ready to talk about this episode. Well, pardon me while I go in and heave first, but uh, anyway, (laughs) we are here to review (laughs) Dances with Wheezy, Season 8, Episode 10. And a few things else to know is that it uh, premiered the original air date November 23rd, 1993 and on top of that it was directed by Tony Singletary again writers Richard Newman and Michael Moy that and it is uh, time for a big battle of the sexes between Peggy and Marcy wanting to go see the Jefferson's moving on up to her and Al and Jefferson who want to go to the, to the premiere of a brand new sports bar a few guest stars to mention that are slightly that, that are somewhat noticeable. Stars. Yeah, Joe Namath, <laughs> Johnny Bench, Ernie Banks, Dan Tullis Jr. And it'll be the first time he's referenced as Officer Dan as a regular recurring role. And there is one more, and that is Jillian Johns, who has a whopping nine acting credits. Her last appearance was in 2003 in the TV series Las Vegas. That's all you can really get on her. <laughs> but I think these guys, Bench and Namath and Banks, had some sort of career in something. Oh, yeah. They had names. Yeah. I mean, like, this was this a great way. one. Listener, yeah. I am not a sports person. I'll say it again and again and again. So the fact that I recognized these names means that these were big guys. So this is a he- this is a heavy episode, heavy with dialogue, heavy with jokes, and heavy with guest stars. So the- everyone's pulling all their punches in this one. Johnny Bench, Ernie Banks, and Joe Namath team up with Al Bundy in the ultimate barroom brawl. An all-new married part of a full hour Sunday. Which one would you rather go to, Tyler? Oh, before I drop that awesome answer uh, down, I just want to make sure our listeners are aware that the Dances with Wheezy title is actually referencing a very huge movie from from the 90s, Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner where he plays John J. Dunbar, a Civil War soldier who is sent out to the plains, and he makes, well, I would say he makes friends, but he actually becomes the white savior of the Lakota tribe out there and becomes part of it. I like the movie. It's a little long, and it's... It's a good movie to start with your kids if you want to get them into, you know, the time frame or get them interested in American history. But it, it's it's a fascinating one. But, uh, yeah, I just want to point that out. Dances with Wolves, Dances with Wheezy. 
So yeah. You asked yeah, you asked me where I wanted to uh where I'd rather go. <laughs> Dude, uh I love me a good sports bar, but if it's if it's that or go to a live performance of the Jeffersons, um well, seeing as both of the people who play the Jeffersons are dead, I would absolutely go to that now if that happened. But I would have went back then there a million times. And it was actually a real thing. This isn't a fake thing that Mary with Children created. They actually did do a um a live thing called uh, moving on up to the east side and the west side um and all around the town (laughs) no no that's what jefferson said but it was a real thing that actually happened it went on from 1993 through most of that year and the tv show was ramped up with uh live in front of a studio audience uh norman lear's all in the family and the jefferson special in 2019 so that I don't know if anybody's aware of that, but it did happen. If you have a cable subscription, it's actually available right now on Hulu. And they did that again. Live performances of these fabled television shows in that time were, uh, you know, were in vogue then and now. So, yeah. yeah. Classic TV started up with uh, TV Land, and it really, which started about that time. You know, and I was thinking, maybe it'll be soon when we have a um, some sort of Married with Children musical tour of some sort. I'm amazed it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Like, I still think there's something being planned for a, for a revamp, because we've all said it, it's so perfect. Um, like, the, the, the actors and actresses all still look good. They all still have prominent, semi-prominent careers, and I think they could really just come back in and not miss a beat. Yeah. So, let's hope it happens. Yeah. Anyway, it starts out in the Bundy home. Peggy is there with the kids, and the kids are looking for something, and... Oh my god, Mom! I found it! Oh, it must have been decomposing down here for months! (laughs) What are we going to do with it when he gets it out? Well... I guess we'll just say a prayer and flush it down the toilet like we did when your goldfish died. (laughs) Okay, back, people! Back! Now give me some room! Give me some room! God, it stinks! Did you find his other bowling shoe down there? No, just the eyelets. I'm gonna go throw this thing in the backyard. That's a good idea, honey. Just put it out with Buck's house. You know how he likes to roll around with your father's old things. (laughs) Well, I guess he's not finished with your father's home of the Whopper jockey shorts. Kelly mentions that she found it and it stinks, and she brings up Al's bowling shoe. It's actually Bud. Who brings up the bowling shoe? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because he's wearing a stupid gas mask and carrying a beaten up shoe and a stick. And the only reason I'm uh, throwing this out here is because I I actually had to... If I have to rewind and watch a scene, it cements it in my memory. And I had to rewind it and put the subtitles back on because Bud says something that I didn't understand. Because uh, he finds one of Al's bowling shoes. Just one. And just what? Because Bud shouts out, he's like, the other, I think the other one's decaying <laughs> uh, or has decayed too much. Because she said, Have, did you find the other one? 
And he goes, nope, nothing but the ringlets. Eyelets. Ringlets. Uh, the eyelets. Yeah. Which are, in case any of you guys don't know, and I did not know, they're the little metal rings that go around the holes that the laces slide through. Yep. That is some dry, nerdy stuff right there you can impress at a bar bed. They should be turned in to for the prevention of cruelty to animals because Buzz says he's going to throw it in the backyard. Peggy says, that's a good idea, honey. Just put it out in Buck's house. <laughs> well, I mean, do you know how much dogs like rolling in filthy, disgusting things. I guess that's true, but I still think that'd be cruel to Buck. Oh, they've done way worse. Yeah. So at least they're feeding him. Yeah. <laughs> then Marcy comes in, and she is excited because... Well, Peg, I got him! Third row, center aisle. The best seats in the house for the greatest show on Earth. Oh, what, public enemy? <laughs> Nirvana? Carla and her disappearing vegetables? <laughs> I, I, I mean the rock group. Not the blonde stripper who's making a squash disappear for Thanksgiving. No pig in training. Tickets to the Jeffersons Live. It's their moving on up tour. What was the facts of life eating on up tour all sold out? Oh, Marcy, I can't believe it. We are actually going to see George and Wheezy perform episodes from their sitcom live on stage. <laughs> now, when you say live, do you mean live as opposed to on TV or live as opposed to daddy? <laughs> Look, we are talking about the Jeffersons. They made me understand the greatness of the African-American culture. I used to think I was a hip white chick. <laughs> then I saw George and Wheezy, and they made me realize that I'm just a square honky peg in a round black world. Whoa. <laughs> well, I guess I can relate. I mean, if Beavis and Butthead did a live show 90 years from now, I'd be there. Kelly, Beavis and Butthead are cartoons. <laughs> they prefer to be called dimensionally challenged, bud. Why do I feel so alone? Because no one likes you. <laughs> and yes, so yeah, she's got tickets for the Moving On Up tour. And Kelly and Bud are... They're, you know what? I love these guys because, quite frankly, I would have been the exact same way for my parents. They're, they're just like, man, they are such nerds, not knowing we'll be the same way. And they're wondering, is it Public Enemy, Nirvana, and Bud's, or... and Bud's weird <laughs> reference to Carla and her disappearing vegetables? I mean, the rock group. <laughs> it, which is not a real thing. No. I would thought it was. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> oh, I don't. The faces that all the women make at Bud is just so great. Peggy's just like, really? Marcy's like, oh my God, you pig. And Kelly's like, blah. Just their, their faces are so great. It's just so shaming him. Well, Bud also mentions when they finally say where they're going, Bud goes, what? The Facts of Life's Eat Non Up tour is, is all sold out. 
and that someone writing for Married with Children just either loves the facts with life or hates the facts of life because they have been referenced one, two, three, four, five, and there was going to be a sixth time in a few episodes from now and through this entire run of the show. Is that all? Season two. Uh, that's all that I have written down. There probably is way more. Yeah, season two, episode 16, season six, episode 22, season seven, episode 16, season eight, episode seven, and season eight, episode 10, obviously, and then once more, and season eight, episode 14. We'll probably see more of them. And this is also an in-joke reference, I guess, or maybe not a joke reference, but a reference to Moy and Levitt because they were writers for the Jeffersons for a while. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like there's a lot of dialogue that has meshed very well. So the Jeffersons, Stephen, um, where you st- where do you stand on the Jeffersons? What's your uh, relationship, your history with that show? Well, I remember <coughs> discovering it around the early '80s or so. I know it was a spinoff of um, of All in the Family, and I really liked the show. I thought it was fun. I watched it regularly for about two or three years. I'm not going to say I was a super fan, but I always enjoyed watching it. I always got a kick out of it. I thought it was hilarious. And it did teach you a lot of things. I mean, there is, um, you know, what the conversation is going on right now about race relations. You look at the Willises, and they were an interracial couple. Back then, that was unheard of, and now it's a lot more common. So I think uh, the Jeffersons had an impact in that way. There was one episode that always stood out to me. And that's when George accidentally goes to a Klan meeting. He thinks that these people are talking about some crimes going on in the building. George wants to be involved. He goes there and he finds out what it's really about. And one of those guys has a heart attack. George has been going to a CPR class, so he does CPR and brings the guy back. When he wakes up, he says, what happened? The man's son said, Mr. Jefferson saved your life. He did CPR. The man looks at George and he looks back at his son and he said to his son, you should have let me die. Oh, I remember my mouth just. I just like yeah. I, it. It they they went the realism. They went the real life response. Uh-huh. You were not expecting that. You were expecting a TV show to be like, see, we're not like we're not all bad. They're not all bad. There's some decency. Nope. That guy would have rather died than have his mouth touched by George. Yeah. Ugh. And that just I shocked me too. And. Growing up... It was a different level of racism yeah. than our grandparents' casual ones. Yeah, because my grandfather, who I admired and loved, he had a hint of bigotry in him. A little bit of bigotry in him that I didn't care for, as well as my grandmother. But, you know, when, when it got that far... that yeah. if, he, if he had mouth-to-mouth and found out that a black man saved his He'd be life... Grateful. You probably Yeah, you would believe that he would be grateful and see the goodness in there. Yeah, like my grandparents were like to that. To be that... Yeah. They would... To be that son in that episode, to hear his father say that, is what snaps him out of it. And I don't want to be a part of this, yeah, like anymore. Like, ooh, yeah. But um, but enough, on, yeah, but so enough he, on Jeffersons. Let's go back to Married with Children. Oh well, I just want to throw out my my history. With oh, the okay, sorry. It's very no, no. It's totally fine. It's very weird. I have a very strange connection with these television shows because All in the Family is a show that I watched. All of my life. I was raised by grandparents, so I was raised by people that Archie and Edith in All in the Family were portraying. Uh, uh, part of the greatest generation that lived through uh, the Great Depression, World War II. Um, 
and I saw Archie and Edith as my funnier versions of my own parental figures. I never saw the Jeffersons because unlike all in the family where I lived and grew up, it was not broadcasted that much. It, it, it wasn't advertised as much. They were just reruns. And even later in my life, after I had memorized every word of the Jeffersons, I mean of the all in the family, I still had trouble finding the Jeffersons. It was a hard show to find for streaming and whatnot. And it wasn't until about two years ago, after I had binged all of Married with Children for the very first time, did a friend of mine buy me the box set of the the Jeffersons because they finally went to DVD. And I got to see all, uh, all the seasons of the Jeffersons. And I watched the show insanely, and you, it was incredible. I saw so much of All in the Family that I loved in there. And there was an episode of All in the Family where Archie gets invited to what he thinks is like a social political group, uh, the 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 key the knights of new york which sounds like you know like the elks lodge or something and he walks in there and finds out it's a clan meeting and he he was invited there because you sound like a man who shares our views and he walks in there and sees those hoods and those crosses that are going to be burnt and the look on Carol O'Connor's face is just like, I can't do it justice. Uh, listeners, if you can watch any episode of All in the Family, watch that one. It is insane because you see a man who n- understands his racism and his prejudice and knows, I am not like you guys. Like, you guys are at a different level that I don't even want to be portrayed to. I'm afraid of you. I want to get away from you. So it's a powerful thing. So both these shows were heavily influenced where Married with Children is and where sitcoms were and that they could take on the political ones. Yeah, the Jeffersons, uh, real quick, it ran yeah. from uh, January 18th, 1975, and it last broadcast on July 2nd, 1985. It ran 11 seasons. Yep, uh, two more seasons more than All in the Family, which... Only was because uh, Gene Stapleton, who played Edith, died. Yeah, the a lot of people don't like the eighth and ninth season. I say yes, they were not that great because two of the principal characters left, but all, Archie and Edith made it, and I would have watched everything with them in it. So that's what I have to say on that. I've got a lot of fresh Jefferson knowledge in my head, and I totally would have been giddy with joy with uh, Marcy and Peg for this. Yeah, Marcy, I love it when she says that. She says, I used to think it was a hip white chick, but then I saw George <laughs> and Wheezy, and then made me realize I'm just a square honky peg in a round black world. Which, oh, yeah. I don't I know where a, that came from. <laughs> I got written down in my notes, Marcy Uncomfortable Race Talk, which is something, there's something about what she's doing that a lot of shows do. It's called it's only usually done with white middle class women, specifically moms or wives. Well, anyway, back to the episode. I also like Kelly saying that yeah, she'd go to a Beavis and Butthead live show. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, they're cartoon <laughs> characters. They're just dimensionally challenged. <laughs> <laughs> She's so indignant by his response to that. Excuse me, they 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 prefer to be called little people, or you know what I mean. It's it's literally the exact same way she says that in her defensive to this. Yeah. Oh, oh man, boy. it's just. And I remember um, 
No, what I think it was the bald and was it the bald and the beautiful episode of Mary with Children? Follically challenged, I think was used. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so challenged. Yeah. Anyway, so Al comes in. Hey. I got good news. So do we. No one cares. <laughs> hey, I just heard they're opening up a brand new sports bar in the neighborhood. Finally, a place a man can relax after work. Well, what about home? <laughs> Finally, a place a man can relax after work. A place where women bring you food. Chips and pretzels, nuts with sugar on them. <laughs> Ask us about our good news. Well, oh, I'm sorry, Peg. What is it? Well, you see, we got four Another tickets. thing they're going to have at the bar? Twelve TVs, each with a different game on. Oh, Peg, I tell you, I'm so hot. If Marcy wasn't here, I'd take you on the floor right now. Oh, yeah. Get out, Marcy. Never mind. Mood is passed. I can say is I'm glad my man has evolved to the point where he doesn't need a sports bar to go to. Hey, Al! Did you hear about the new sports bar? Sure did! (laughs) Icky Shuffle! Peg, I've got... And he says he has good news. She does too, but he says, well, no one cares. Finally, a place where a man can relax after work. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, this is heavy, good dialogue. Like, yeah, just... a place. Yeah, he says where a place where women bring you food. <laughs> like, oh, chips and pretzels and nuts with sugar on them. <laughs> oh, Peg, mm-hmm. I'm getting so hot. Like, if Marcy wasn't here, I'd take you right now. Which I yeah. wrote my notes. Sex point? Yeah. If Marcy wasn't here? Question mark. <laughs> Probably if Marcy wasn't there, but remember, uh, Al quickly got out of the mood. (laughs) The moment's gone. (laughs) Good, solid writing. Yes. So did he? He asked her, "Did you hear about the new the new sports bar, the Icky Shuffle?" And the Icky Shuffle is a reference to uh, a little dance that an NFL player named Albert Icky Woods played for the Cincinnati Bengals 1988 to 1991. After scoring a touchdown, Woods would shuffle his feet to the right and hold the football out to the right, shuffling his feet to the left and hold on to the football to the left. Yeah, and then no he did a few hops. You know, I remember this, and it was a big thing called the Icky Shuffle. There were some other celebrations. The NFL created a rule de- uh, designating it as excessive celebration, and it was subject to penalty. That that rule, though, pretty much went away. It's okay to celebrate a touchdown. What you cannot do is taunt the defensive player. But isn't there like a – wasn't there a whole thing with Tom Brady, uh, how he hated uh, showboating – um, after a touchdown and whatnot. Like, yeah, well, he... he hated it personally, but there wasn't necessarily a rule against it. Well, no, but he was, like, trying to make it a rule. I, I, I distinctly remember something about that. Like, I think him and Belichick actually went up, like, the NFL, like, board and was trying to say, we need – this should be a rule. It demeans the sport and turns us into a bunch of clowns, which, uh-huh. you know what? I kind of get that. Like, you want to be a professional, but, man, let's have some fun. Come on. 
Well, like I said, you can celebrate, but you can't taunt some, the defensive player. You know, and a great example are, is an NFL player scoring a touchdown after beating the defender and then spiking the ball at near their head. Oh, yeah. Oh, Not at yeah. their head, but they're spiking it saying, hey, I beat you. Which is a good distinction to make. There's a big distinction between jumping up and going, yes, and like making the tear your shirt off thing and saying hallelujah, then going over and saying, screw you, I got it. So, yeah, good sportsmanship. I, I see. Yeah. Al goes back to talking about his sports bar. They're going to have all these... We get a huh? reference to we get a reference actually to a uh, bit of continuity about Al that Al is a huge walking sports encyclopedia. Oh yeah, he does not mm-hmm. need a Google Sheets open like you and me to have right now to remember all this stuff. <laughs> he just knows it all. Gloves on display. Yes, I did. And mantle spikes. Plus Michael Jordan's putter. <laughs> yes, but are they going to have the actual door that George Jefferson slammed in the Willis's face? Huh? <laughs> Speaking of Michael Jordan, I bet you don't know who was picked ahead of him in the 1984 NBA draft. Sam Bowie went to the Trailblazers. Good call, buddy. <laughs> All right, Al, I got one for you. When was the last time the Cubs won the World Series? 1908. And you can't remember the year we were married. <laughs> Same year, 1908. <laughs> Only difference is baseball's still interesting. Well, maybe that's because they score more than once a season. <laughs> Well, I got a lot, too, uh, on specific things like football and baseball. Ask me something about basketball, I probably won't know it. Golf, maybe a, a tiny bit. Hockey, barely a little bit. But Name the first left-handed quarterback in NFL history, Stephen. Jim Zorn. Damn it. You are like Al Bundy right now. Yeah. I was hoping you'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He was the first left-handed starting quarterback of the NFL. But uh, let's move on here. He talks about that they're going to have Ali's gloves on display. You know, Muhammad Ali, the greatest boxer, and about Mantle Spikes. Real quick, Mickey Mantle is from Oklahoma, my home state. <laughs> and he was a uh, one of the greatest uh, players to play for the Yankees, even though he played for the wrong team. I am not a Yankees fan. That's going to lead to something else here. In, uh, I'm going to talk about a little bit later when we get to Johnny Bench. He was he was considered the greatest switch hitter in baseball history. He was from Spavanaugh, Oklahoma. Wow. Okay. Real small town, yeah. And unfortunately, he was an alcoholic. He uh, died of um, liver disease. He probably would have done more had he not been on the bottle so much. On top of that... Was that a big thing that affected a lot of pro baseball players was alcoholism? Well, it affects a lot of different athletes and drug abuse, too. But uh, his thing was alcohol. Of course, that was, he played in the era of alcoholism when it yeah, was pretty much point. a rule. If you want to see a good movie about it, I believe HBO made this movie. It was called 61... It was about when um, he and uh, Roger Maris were competing for the home run title. Roger Maris had trouble handling all the pressure. Mickey Mantle was played by Thomas Jane. But uh, I think it came out like around 99 or so. So if you 
if anyone wants to watch a good biopic on Mickey Mantle, well, it's not a full biopic, but it's about when they went for that home run thing. Now, Jefferson and Al get into the sports trivia, and then they have a big argument. I've got one that's going to stump you. All right, who was in the very first light beer commercial? No problem. You're talking beer, you're talking my language. You're talking beer, you're talking his belly. Why do I have an uncontrollable urge to play t-ball? The answer is Bubba Smith. Uh, Billy Martin. Bubba Smith wore a powdered blue sports shirt with a black penguin on the pocket. Hey, Al, what was I wearing the day you met me? Too much makeup. It was Billy Martin. Bubba Smith. That is some trivia that I'm really wondering if you actually knew. Who played in the first light beer commercial uh, advertisement? Matt Snell, New York Jets fullback in 1973. Ah, uh, it's not Bubba Smith? Nope. And it's not Billy Martin. Uh-huh. Matt Snell. I say Bubba. Matt Snell. Bubba. Matt Snell. Bubba. Matt Snell. Matt Smell. Daffy. (laughs) (laughs) Wabbit season. Duck season. Wabbit season. Duck season. Wabbit season. Duck season. Wabbit season. Duck season. Wabbit season. So Al and Jefferson are literally doing a Bugs and Daffy thing. And all of that actually comes right after a hilarious scene where that I call pre-internet research. Hello, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. <laughs> yeah, I have an alcohol question. <laughs> Who was in the first light beer commercial? I said... <laughs> no, I say it was Bubba Smith. But my friend here says it was... Hello? You said it was Bubba. <laughs> Billy. Bubba. Billy. Bubba. Billy. Billy. Bubba. <laughs> now that's no fair. You stole that from Bugs Bunny. Daffy. Bugs. Daffy. Bugs. Daffy. Bugs. Daffy. Bugs. Daffy. Bugs. Hey, hey. Why are you two introducing yourselves to each other? <laughs> you guys have been doing this for two days. We demand you pay us some attention. Oh, all right. Bubba. Billy. You know what we can do? We can ask them Friday night at the grand opening of the sports bar. Yeah, great. Friday? Friday night is our play. What play? The Jeffersons moving on up tour. What are they moving on up to? Channel 99? been talking about this for two days. You never listen to me. Well, why would I? I got a TV. <laughs> I know. It's the only thing you've turned on in 20 years. Well, if you came with a remote and mute button, I might turn you on too every now and then. Now, listen to me, Peg. I gotta be there opening night. You know who's gonna be there? Johnny Bench, Ernie Banks, and Joe Namath. Yawn, gag, and snore. 
<laughs> now, listen here. No, 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 Al. You listen to me. Now, you weren't there when Kelly was born. You weren't there when Bud was born. I don't think you were even there when they were conceived. <laughs> now, this play is important to me, and you will be there. Do I even have to open my mouth? <laughs> nope, nope. I'm there moving on up to the east side, the west side, all around the town. Fine. Now that that's settled, let's go buy some clothes. Oh, you're right. We must accessorize for the theater. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, the pre-internet research, Stephen, where if you and me had an argument, if I really did contest your... Uh, knowledge about that beer commercial and all of a sudden our wife both of our wi-fi's went down well i don't know how, how i don't even remember how exactly we would come to a conclusion well you would have to go probably to your encyclopedia Britannicus. oh jesus yeah well, the library's open <laughs> yeah that's what you would have to do in that sense but you said there was something about that scene that uh that you uh, caught that I didn't that uh, another research caught before. Yeah, it was about who the first light beer commercial was on, yeah, or who was in the believe. first light beer commercial. Because I, I, you just stunned me with that answer, Stephen. I thought the show told me. I thought Dan's dying breath at the end of this episode <laughs> uh, was the decider. But no, I guess it did end in a brawl. So yeah, so there really wasn't. You know, it wasn't uh, settled there because they were both wrong. It was Matt Snell. Yeah, big surprise. 60 drunk dudes uh, at a sports bar couldn't come to an agreement. <laughs> yeah, and what happens? They get into a um, fight. By the way, I forgot to mention this. I want to pull uh, just to let you guys know. Matt Snell, who was uh, he was a running back for the New York Jets. Uh, he played from uh, 1964 to 1972. He was a three-times AFL All-Star. He was the first team in the AFL in the All AFL team. Uh, he was the AFL Rookie of the Year. So, but by the way, that means he started before the NFL and the AFL merged, forming the modern National Football League. He is in the New York Jets Ring of Honor, and he was a Super Bowl champion. In Super Bowl three, along with Joe Namath, his co-star, he had four, 42, 4,287 rushing yards out of 1,057 attempts. So he and he scored uh, 24 rushing touchdowns, and he played in 86 games. You see, this tells me we live in a society or a world where that kind of knowledge is looked at upon with awe but the same level of nerdum that I have that I can quote full on episodes of All in the Family gets looked at as oh this guy's got a he's too into this thing yeah. man there are no bigger nerds out there than sports nerds I can't believe the level of stuff that some of you guys can like name off like it it's well, insane. you know, it just depends on what you like. I'm also a Star Wars nerd. I told you earlier that I got my uh, lightsaber today. <laughs> yeah, that that is true, and I'm yeah. very, very, very jealous. It's a double-edged lightsaber, like Darth Maul had. I saw okay. that in Phantom Menace. That was the only thing I liked in the Phantom Menace. <laughs> okay, nerd. So, uh, yeah, the girls are in now, and they are irate that uh, 
the boys have completely forgotten about uh, about the little moving on up tour that's going on on Friday. Yeah, they're still concerned about who was in the first light beer commercial and and who did Al call to find out the answer? Oh, I don't even remember. I hope you were the Bureau that. of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. The ATF. <laughs> I have, I have an alcohol question. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> and the ATF was too busy lighting up people's homes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, answering questions, because this was about, I think, uh, eight months after Waco. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, boy. They're just getting nailed from all sides. Oh, it's so beautiful. But, um, yeah, like, so they decide they're going to come up with this answer by going to this drunken... Uh, crowd on Friday nights on the sports bra, but problem, that's also the night of the Jeffersons live at, live tour. I actually was on Peggy and Marcy's side. Usually it shows them being, oh, I don't care about your thing. It, you're going to our thing. I don't care if you have tickets. Well, on this time, it was the men's fault. They w- probably both did promise that they would go two days ago and completely blew them off and we're ready to blow them off and Peggy's rightfully so I would have said this to my partner no I don't care if you don't want to go that's your fault for not paying attention and listening you said you would and you're going but knowing Marcy and Peg they probably just decided they were going bought the tickets and told Al and Jefferson hey we're going to this on Friday night you know what it could it could work either way but regardless, they're stuck because they're both little kids at heart, and they said they're going to go, but they're not having that. Fish don't fry in the kitchen. <laughs> Bees don't burn on the grill. <laughs> oh, God, how sad. <laughs> anyway, Dad, I just heard the sports bar is opening the same night as the Jefferson's tour. Which one are you going to? (laughs) (laughs) Kids, you want to do old dad a favor before he kills you? (laughs) So Al comes up with an interesting plan for his Well, before that, I need to talk about this, and that is Peg putting her foot down with Al, claiming that you weren't there when Kelly was born, you weren't there when Bud was born, and I don't think you were there when they were conceived. Ooh, wait, is that a sex point for Al? Three? I don't... Is that two sex points, possibly? No. <laughs> she Is it count as a sex point if, if Peggy doesn't remember? Oh, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> Alex lost... That would put lost... them all at yeah. stake. Never mind. Alex <laughs> lost the sex points list, so it's really a moot point now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. All right, good point, good point, good point. But uh, I just like bringing that up because I completely forgot about the sex points because we've been lacking a lot of Peggy and Al's sex for a while. So the fact that they're bringing it up, I was like, oh, sex point, maybe? No. <laughs> So Al comes up with this hokey plan so he and Jefferson can go to the sports bar. You know, they call Chicago the second city because we're supposed to be inferior to New York. But with theater like this, we have nothing to be ashamed of. Let's open our moving on up souvenir bags. We can use them when our dinner starts moving on up. (laughs) 
Patrick Ewing? No, you Philistine. I'm Wheezy. Uh, well, I'm Woozy. Ladies and gentlemen, a brief announcement before our show starts. Tonight, the role of Ralph the Doorman will be played by Eric Estrada. Uh, Well, he was punch. (laughs) What did you think of this plan, Tyler? Okay, Hokey is absolutely right. (laughs) There go the lights. You know what we have to do. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the Jeffersons. This is actually not a Looney Tunesy thing. This is a traditional. Uh, this is not even a sitcom thing. This is a silent era movie um, trope where you dress up as uh, somebody else, or like you dress up as me, and we'll do this. And the idea is, it's in a darkened theater. You're going to be staring at the uh, screen. So as long as someone is next to you that you assume is there. Um, you are going to you're you're going to get away with that. So somehow they rigged it that the men sit down. Jefferson and Al are sitting next to each other, with Peggy on Al's left and uh, Marcy on Jefferson's left as well. So the women are kitty cornering them. When the lights go down, the plan goes into action. The lights come back up, and we see that. Bud is dressed up in Al's place, and Kelly, with short curly, with her hair tied up and back to make it look short and around Jefferson's length, is sitting where Jefferson is. You might notice with Bud, he's wearing something that makes him look like he's balding. Oh, yeah, they have a full Al, uh, like Ed O'Neill hairpiece on him, which is awesome. Uh, whoever did that looks really good. I don't know if they actually just cut his hair to look like that and just shot around it later or not, because it looks really, really does not look like a fake thing. It looks real <laughs> and kind of weird the way it's when the camera's like aiming right at his face. But I have an interesting theory going on, because when you think about it, it doesn't really matter who plays Al and who plays Jefferson because the idea is so stupid like both of these people could not pull off the physique uh, and stature of Ed O'Neill and Ted McGinley so the fact that they chose Kelly to be in short I will call it kind of butch haircut wearing more of a masculine tuxedo and still looking hot as hell because it's Christina Applegate sitting next to who we know Amanda Beers, who is a lesbian, proudly admitted it. And I'm wondering if Christina Applegate, who is also a very, very strong supporter of the LGBTQ community, I wonder if there was some talk between the two and decided we're going to do this to kind of do a little shout out to the LGBTQ community and give a little, you know, fantasy fiction here and there, because I'm sure there is from this scene right there, because later we find out she could... Uh, Marcy was sucking on Kelly's neck, apparently. Like, they don't even allude to it. She admits it. So, 
I just found that very fascinating that they decided to go there. But yes, this is a hokey, dumb idea. And the only way this could absolutely work is if, is if they never, ever looked over, never, ever needed them to speak. And it also depends that the theater is not also filled with teddy bears, little children dressed up like men, and a full-on dogs taking the seat because apparently every single husband in this damn city would rather go to this very tacky looking sports bar what do you mean tacky look it looks like a jail cell it like it looks like this is a cheap ass set the theater they're in looks like a real theater but that looks like the movie theater that al punched peggy's date out uh i mean kelly's date out in uh, a few episodes back but like to go to this thing rather than watch the Jeffersons, which that's not a okay. Look, it'd be different if they were watching a Gilmore Girls like live thing or something like that, or some soap opera. But it's the Jeffersons that well, was loved I... by both men and women. Like, what the heck? Yeah, but men want to go to a sports bar. I, God, I remember a long time ago, my wife wanted me to go to this uh, thing. Uh, it was a big uh, benefit dinner in downtown Tulsa. And I'm there, and we're with our friends, uh, Bill and Carrie. There was a rumor going around that Johnny Bench was outside and uh, signing autographs. And Bill and I looked at each other. And I looked over at my wife, and Robin and Carrie both looked at us and said, go ahead and go. <laughs> we went. <laughs> oh, you didn't get a couple kids to dress up like the two of you? and No, we didn't have place. to do that. Our lives... Our wives said, yeah, you can go. But hell, it was kind of like I was I just looked at Bill and I, I was about to stand up and go. And then all of a sudden I hear Robin saying, OK, you can go. <laughs> OK, so I will give you that. All right. So listeners, I am being a little prejudicial because I am a way more of a Jefferson. I would be more of a Jefferson's fan than I am a sports fan. However, I did forget up to the second that this sports bar is not just a new sports bar that has all the things that sports bar should have. But on this specific night, there are famous people in sports history that are going to be at this bar. So it's worth it. I think we're ignoring one disappointment in the Jeffersons because Ralph the doorman couldn't be there. Oh, Someone else had to play him. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Who had to play him, Tyler? (laughs) Okay, so for those of you that don't remember, Ralph the doorman uh, was a wonderful reoccurring character in the Jeffersons. He was always... Uh, trying to get at um, Jefferson's uh, richness, get his money, get and a everything. tip, get get his tip, like flat out going, "Oh, I don't know, Mister Jefferson, uh, my back is really hurting." And then Jefferson pulls out some money. He goes, "Wouldn't you know it? My back feels fine." All of a sudden, all right, I got it. But yeah. apparently, <laughs> tonight the role of Ralph the doorman will be played by Eric Estrada, and Jefferson goes <laughs> ape shit. And everyone looks at him, and he goes, well, he was Punch. (laughs) Oh, man. So Chips is an American crime drama television series created by Rick Rosner. It was a drama? uh, Yes, it was. It was a crime drama. (laughs) Yeah. And it originally aired on NBC from September 15th, 1977 to May 1st, 1983. It starred Eric Estrada as Macho Rambunctious Officer Francis Frank Lewin, Ponch, Poncharello, 
and Larry Wilcox as his straddle partner, Officer Jonathan, quote, John, Andrew Baker. So, (laughs) it was a California Highway Patrol. Yes. (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, sometimes my cousins and I would watch it. It's like finding, it would be like finding out that, like, in this reading of, uh, if they were doing a live reading of Married with Children right now, it would be like finding out in this episode, the uh, Jefferson will be played by Christopher Maloney, who plays uh, Stabler from Law and Order SVU. And there would be totally somebody be like, whoa, yeah, what? He's, st- he's shooting him up Stabler from Law and Order, who does that does not fit with Mary with Children, just as uh, uh, Eric Estrada would not fit at all in the Jeffersons. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes from Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and it was about in the 93-94 era, uh, Kevin Nealon's doing the weekend update. In a long-anticipated move, police in Los Angeles drew a chalk outline around Eric Estrada's career. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) Okay, so just because this uh, Jefferson's whole play thing, the the live performance whatnot, it kind of pales comparison to the sports bar. Let's just finish up the rest of this. So we find out that all of the guys have faked their presence there through assortment of teddy bears and live animals and their own children. And they're watching it, and they actually play a clip. Watch this out. Now Florence is going to hold up a jock strap and say, what's that? And then George is going to say, that's my cup. And she's going to say, how the heck are you going to drink out of that? What's that? Oh, that's my cup. How the heck do you drink out of that? If you wanted to go to a sports bar. You know, catchers do have to wear their cups. And I do remember one time. I mean, I was, they're hovering, uh, like, what, an yeah. inch above the ground. You better. <laughs> and the thing was, I do remember one time, uh, I think I was a junior, and I'm catching for a game, and this low ball came in and bounced out of the dirt and came up, and it got me right down right down there. That cup, I'm glad I had that on. It hurt as it did. I actually looked back at the guy with the radar gun. I asked him, oh, my God, how fast was that going? He said 88 miles an hour. After that, I heard oh, that. It, it felt yeah. worse. <laughs> oh. Yeah, non-athlete, all males who are athlete, who are not athletes in our listeners, and I'm, I count myself as one of them, don't do what Bart Simpson in Millhouse did on The Simpsons and, and install a cup for fun and have your friend repeatedly it kick you. It will still hurt. The, oh, it will hurt like a son of a bitch you will fall down you will see stars you will not be able to walk right for days your testicles will not implode and you will not have to go to the hospital i remember another time you know and this was playing football and i was a defensive end in this particular play i played various positions and this guy the running back fumbled the football and it bounced right into my hands and i start to, to run and I saw their fullback saw me, and he was guy ran with his head down, and I realized that helmet's going to hit me right in the worst place. I tried to spin, but he still got me there. That was miserable. I was, I couldn't walk off the field. I was, it was embarrassing. I had to be carried off on a stretcher. That bus ride back was miserable. Oh, I could imagine. Ice was involved. 
And when I opened up my when I opened uh, up the pouch on my jock strap, I found out the cup was sh- smashed into three separate pieces. <gasps> oh God! So yes, remember, frozen peas stay frozen way longer than ice. Yeah, that's what my dad anyway. told me. Yeah, he's the <laughs> doctor. So I I couldn't go to school the next. I cannot go to school the next day. I would have taken a semester off. Like uh, I need to rebuild myself. Whenever I get with those old friends, you know, at a reunion or something, they always. The football players always mentioned that one. They remember. I was actually that was sophomore football. I couldn't remember. That was my sophomore year, so it was like, oh man, I'm surprised you guys remember that. You think you'd remember the senior year stuff? I just I couldn't imagine going through. That's why I didn't. I never played sports, uh, or never really played sports like like football or wrestling or something that could cause that kind of injury. It's just insane to to think about that. Hey, where's the guy who says dynamite? <laughs> no, that's the other show. Um, give me a stroke. <laughs> this is the lowest thing that I have ever done. Okay, the lowest thing I've ever been paid to do. Okay, the lowest thing I've ever been paid to do that I didn't enjoy. If you ask me, the Willises were way ahead of their time. Hmm. Your hands are moist like mine. But then watching the Jeffersons always made me horny. Let's say the next time the scenes change and the lights go out, we... Peg is so cute here because she's like, ooh, ooh, look, look, look. All right, so he's going to do this, and Florida's going to say that, and then they actually say it. It's adorable because I would be doing the same thing. Kelly looks over to, to Bud and goes, when's the guy who says dynamite supposed to show up? And Bud's like, no, that's the other show. Give me a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> Which is matching up two very successful uh television shows one called different strokes and the other one called good times good times is very 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 underrated as humor it's kind of gets lumped in as a social commentary show and that's all that it is that like the humor is second and the social political stuff is first and i say no it is at high yeah did norman lear produce that one too yes he did thought so they i also thought it was and by the way i also thought they were um you know they meshed up another show called give me a break uh give me a break is uh is using that but the character that dynamite is jj from good times you're right give me a break is uh the nbc american sitcom show uh created by mort lockman and cy rosen that um it aired in in 1980 and uh 1981 to 1987 it I didn't watch too much of that because it's it did it starred Neil Carter as the housekeeper for a widowed police chief and his three daughters. Eh, it's not that big. Different strokes, however. That was huge. Uh, that was the social commentary one. Which, if you're going to give a show that's going to like leave off humor to play the social political side, 
Different Strokes way more than Good Times. Good Times does a blend of it very, very well. They got the All in the Family writers helping them out. They did. Uh, But Different Strokes was important. Very famous. A man who I love. Uh, I believe it's... um, uh, Conrad Bain? Conrad Bain, yes. Uh, Better known as um, Valerie's... Uh, <laughs> Valerie's husband on the hit show Maud. It's yeah. really great. Yeah, and he adopts Gary Coleman and Todd Bridges as Arnold and Willis Jackson, two African American boys from Harlem, and they're taken in with Philip Drummond uh, or Conrad Bain. That's his uh, name in there. And uh, another Oklahoma tie to my home state. Dana Plato had ties to Moore, Oklahoma, which is just south of Oklahoma City, and that's huh. when she was a. Uh, well, that's when she died, when she okay. was in Moore, Oklahoma. Oh, and Dana Plato, listeners, played Kimberly, the daughter of uh-huh. uh, Philip Drummond from Different Strokes. That uh, I had a crush you... on when I was 12, when that show was popular. Oh, I totally would bet. And she is hiding that Oklahoma accent very, very well on that show. <laughs> well, no, she wasn't from Oklahoma. She just had ties to people in Oklahoma. Well, no, but yeah, but she herself, like I remember uh, listening to some commentary on one of those episodes, and she herself said she had like a Midwest ad- accent that took her a long time in uh, script readings to break because she's supposed to be from Park Avenue. <laughs> we got Kelly not knowing what's going on there. The episode finally ends, and the ge- the episode that they're watching in the theater ends and they all get up and the women are just dancing. It's swaying back and forth to the musical credits and Al and, uh, uh, pay, sorry, Kelly and bud look at each other. And I didn't notice it until uh, Kelly starts talking, but Kelly's, uh, bow tie is all messed up and her hair is disheveled. And bud looks at her and goes, man, I can't believe this stupid idea worked. Mom actually thought I was dad, and she actually started picking my pocket during the showing. And Kelly goes, hey, I don't know what you're playing about. At least you didn't get a hickey. And right then and there, a ton of slash fiction was written about Kelly and Marcy. (laughs) Well, you know, and then there were other things in there that just, where the writing is just so spot on. Bud telling Kelly, you know, Peggy whispers something in Bud's ear, and he says to Kelly... Something I wish I would have heard a girl tell me all my life, and it's my mother. <laughs> oh, God, I know. And then yeah. Kelly says, well, this is the lowest thing I've ever done. <sighs> Bud looks at her. Well, the lowest thing I've ever done for money. Bud he looks keeps looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, good Lord. Oh, no, no, we got to finish it like, it's the lowest thing I've ever done. Stares at her. Okay, the lowest thing I've ever done to be paid for. Still looks at her. Yeah. Fine. The lowest thing I've ever done that I was paid for that I didn't enjoy. And he's just like, <laughs> there you go. Kind of face. Uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, we missed going back to the sports bar. Yeah, I did. just wanted to finish up the, the whole theater thing because the sports bar is going to be our starlight. Look at this, Jefferson. Every sport known to man. Baseball, football, girls in bikinis, wrestling, and lettuce. <laughs> If I thought heaven was like this, I'd have put a bullet in my brain years ago. If I thought you had a chance in hell of getting in, I'd do it for you, buddy. (laughs) Thanks, man. I love you. (laughs) Over there, Tony Banks. Gotta get a picture with him. (laughs) 
Wait a second, Jefferson. You can't just go up to Mr. Cub and drool all over him. That's a that's a legend, a Hall of Famer. You gotta respect his privacy. You know you <laughs> shoot it, damn it! I'm blind! You hit 512 homers. Imagine how good you'd be if you could see. <laughs> Ah, we're just kidding, Ernie. You okay? Yeah, I guess. Good. Shoot out! What is who the heck are we do we have here? <laughs> okay, the first person they see, it's Ernie Banks. That's Yay! awesome. He was nicknamed Mr. Cub, Mr. Sunshine. He was an American professional ball player. He he played uh shortstop for the Chicago Cubs between 1953 and 1971. He also did some first base, and he was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1977 and was named Major League Baseball All-Century Team in 1999. He was the heart of the Cubs in the 60s era. Unfortunately, they didn't do much in pennant-wise then, but then again, the Cardinals, my favorite team, dominated it in that decade so that's the first person they meet what does alan jefferson want to do get a picture oh yes they are carrying that camera around like crazy and acting like little schoolboys, which is kind of adorable i don't mind that at all <laughs> so they're looking around they check out shaquille o'neal's foot <laughs> <laughs> shaquille knows it's what it's like to have big feet he wore a size 22 and once Specially upon a time, made. Yeah. Him. And his parents struggled to buy him shoes. And then look at that massive handprint. Who is it? Wilt Chamberlain's? No. Martina Navrolota. Now that's someone I never heard of. <laughs> uh, speaking of big hands, Stephen, you know what they say about a guy with big hands, right? Yeah. No, I don't think any of our listeners know this because we had to look that up. Basically, what they say about big hands, so if, well, everyone does know what it means if a guy has small feet no big feet that means he's got a big you know he's got a big dick but if he's got small hand big hands that means he's got small small balls <laughs> and it's and it's said so well because that is said by a guy like you know what they say about a guy with big hands you know what they say about big hands Johnny Bench! Okay, he never won a pennant. Or scored four touchdowns in a single game. Hey, John. Who is that guy? How do I know? I'm blind. And then that just shows this hand appear between Al and Jefferson holding four, count them four, real live baseballs. I thought it was five. 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 Yes, five. Like so many. And the joke is that the only way a guy could be able to hold five uh, baseballs in his hand as if a he's got huge hands but because of his huge hands they look like tiny balls so we got two jokes playing big time you told me some interest yeah you told me some interesting stuff steven about this guy yeah johnny bench now understand something he was from oklahoma too oh god one eighth choctaw he played uh baseball and was a valedictorian at binger oney high school 
in Binger, Oklahoma. He was drafted as a catcher at the age of 17 to the Cincinnati Reds in the second round draft of the, the second round of the 1965 amateur draft. He he was a catcher from 1965 up until 1978 which is unheard of. After that, he uh, switched over to third base. Happens to a lot of catchers. However, there are some catchers that have lasted longer than that. Carlton Fisk played catcher for 22 years. So what you're telling me is this guy didn't really even need a baseball glove because his hand was that big. Real quick, some more stats about uh, he was also part of the Big Red Machine, the Cincinnati Reds who dominated the National League in the early to mid, early to late seventies. Wait, the Big Red Machine? Yeah, yeah. The Cincinnati Reds were called the Big Red Machine. That included uh, players like Pete Rose. It oh, included I did Joe not know Morgan, that. Dave Concepcion. Yes, he played with Pete Rose. Anyway, his last major league appearance, Johnny Benches, was in nineteen eighty three. He had a batting average of two sixty seven. He had three hundred eighty nine home runs, which is number four on the all time catchers home run list. And if you want to know about catchers, ask me. I was a catcher myself from like sixth grade all the way up to high school and I played summer ball and I'm paying the price for that now. <laughs> my knees are crap. My 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 pinky's been broken on my left hand's been broken three times. My thumb on my left hand's been broken twice. Because that's a lot of injuries catchers get. So I don't know how those major leaguers can do it for like 100 games a season for 22 years. I mean, $20 million a year contracts probably help. Something interesting about Johnny Bench also is uh, he was the youngest player to win the National League Most Valuable Player Award. Oh, damn. Not bad. And then on top of that, in his personal life, he's he's been married four times. He has four kids. He's not married now. But his first wife was Vicki Chesser. She was a toothpaste model, and she previously dated Joe Namath. We never settled our little bet about who was in the first light beer commercial. Now, there must be somebody around here that knows it was Billy Martin. You mean there must be somebody around here that knows it was Bubba Smith? Wait a second. I know just who to ask. Yo, barkeep! Joe, Joe, I, I, I followed your career from Alabama to Super Bowl three to that pain ointment thing you do now. Thanks. You a shoe salesman? Yeah. Told you. You, you know, Joe, I, I got just one question for you. Oh, I know. I know. Did I really believe I'd win the Super Bowl? Uh, no, no. Who was in the first light beer commercial? Who cares? Which, Stephen, you are the sports guy on here, but I am going to steal the spotlight right here for a quick second and talk about Mr. Namath because he is more closely related to television and acting than all these other guys that you were talking about. Mr. Namath was born on May 31st, 1943, nicknamed Broadway Joe. 
He's an American former professional football player who was a quarterback in the American Football League and National Football League during the 1960s and the 1970s. He played college football for the Alabama Crimson Tide under coach Paul the Bear Bryant from 1962 to 1964. And Namath was an AFL icon and played for that league, New York Jets, for most of his professional career. He finished his career with the Los Angeles Rams, and he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In 1985, he retired after playing, goddamn, 143 games over 13 years in the AFL and the NFL, including the playoffs. And his team had an overall record of 68 wins and 71 loses. Now, you would think with a career like that, that he would just, you know, sit back, count his money, maybe do some ESPN uh, guest spots. But no, Mr. Namath went written into his name. There are several video games made from him. I believe he actually kicked off one of the main ones. It was just like Joe Namath's football, I think, something like that. I don't have the actual name of it. He appeared in several commercials that Al brings up. Um, and he also had guest spots on The Simpsons. He had guest spots on um, Roseanne. Non-credited, I believe. Um, and he has just been known in the uh, television and acting world as just one of those go-tos. Like, hey, we need to make, we need a sports guest star. It would be great if we get Joe Namath. Let's give his agent a call. And majority of the time, he would say, sure, why not? Apparently, he's, he was really good to have on set, a lot of fun, and good with kids, and just good with comedy, and would actually make inputs, or, hey, can I, uh, you know, do a little thing? Such as what he's doing behind the bar in this episode, when Al comes up to him, saying, hey, Joe, he's looking in the mirror and straightening his bow tie, looking like that. I want to believe that's a Joe Namath, like, ad-lib moment right there, kind of deal. Well, that was Joe Namath. He was arrogant, and uh, frankly, I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he was... His uh, interception-to-touchdown ratio was very high, incredibly high for a Hall of Famer. Um, Now, for those who are not sports uh, efficient like myself, what what does that mean to you? That means he's – yeah, the interception rate to – interception ratio to um, touchdown ratio. That means he's thrown just as about as many interceptions as he has touchdowns. So, as a quarterback, he'll throw – put the ball into play by throwing it. Yeah. Um, if uh, the, somebody he throws it to gets a touchdown, it gets into the one of those 173. If yeah. somebody intercepts the ball, meaning he did not throw very good, that's yeah. his is higher. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily higher, but it's a very high ratio. Like if you throw 173 touchdown passes, but you've thrown 154 interceptions, that's pretty high. And considering that he only had one championship – that doesn't look well either. Gotcha. Doesn't All tell right. you that makes you a leader. He is also famous for a commercial in promoting pantyhose. Yes. Did you know that? Yes, I did. Like yeah. I, I found a lot of stuff about Joe Namath um, in his acting. And I want to point, point out there, uh, Steve, it is correct. As a player, he was considered a very arrogant 
did not do a lot of interviews, apparently. No. But something happened. I think his knee, blowing out his knee, I think humbled him a little bit and made him value life, I guess, differently. Because I hope so. His career in television post-retirement, like the people he met, he did not have to do it. When you are asked to come on because of your name, you don't technically have to be nice. You could be as an arrogant as you want because they're paying for your name. But apparently he was very good to work with. So yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to throw out and something And one nice more thing. One more thing about him. He was part of the worst lineup of Monday Night Football announcers that I have ever dealt with. He worked along with O.J. Simpson, to give you an idea. It's, it's a miracle he wasn't killed. But O.J. Simpson and Joe Namath were terrible doing color analysis. Uh, Frank Gifford Which was is... the only thing. Well, okay. You have the play-by-play commentator. And at that time, it was Frank Gifford. And the play-by-play commentator will say, like, okay, the ball's at first and ten. Uh, it's a first down and ten. Ball's at the 20-yard line. Roger Staubach's in the shotgun formation. The play goes back. Hands it off to Dorset. Dorset scampers up the middle. He gets about seven yards and is brought down by Rocky Blyer. That's what the play-by-play man does. The color man, or the color people, they make colorful commentaries on it. You know, that was a good run by Dorset. What he did was he jutted to the side there and followed his tackle up the lane and he might have gotten a few more yards out of that had the uh, tight end come in to take care of that other linebacker that was coming towards him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have two color commentators. One was O.J. Simpson, one was Joe Namath. Those two guys were god-awful. I would, When watching Monday Night Football, I would mute my TV and just watch it. How avoid are you... Them. Like, I can understand how the commentator who has to literally say what's happening, so people who are listening to this on uh, radio think and see what's happening, and you uh-huh. were doing a good job. I understood exactly what this imaginary thing that you were listing off was doing, but how can you mess up the color commentary? You just got to be like, wow, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, man, those legs were just kicking off pretty well, like right there. How do you well- mess that up? Well, part of it was that Namath and uh, Simpson, they would pull out these trivial things that uh, made no sense whatsoever to what was going on on the field. Oh, dear. And that, and they were and, both, like, legends, so... Yeah, they were legends, but, you know, just because you're a legend player doesn't mean you're going to be a great commentator. And just because you're a great commentator doesn't mean you're going to be a great football player. I mean, there are a lot of... Uh, football players who don't do that well go into commentating. Uh, Phil Sims comes to mind. Uh, Let me think- throw out a Red Sox player that I have great love for because being from a Boston family, I have to love the Red Sox, even though I don't particularly like baseball. Miguel Rodriguez, one of the best players that the Red Sox had for many, many, many seasons. Uh, he was getting a lot of press refused to do commentary because he flat out said, and I quote, I'm a baseball player, not a talker. Bless him. Like, <laughs> that's that's what you got to do. Like, no, 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 no. I'm not good at that. I don't want to do it. And that's where Namath and uh, O.J. Simpson were bad at. They did not know what to talk about. And it usually went back to, I remember when I was doing this at New York or I was doing this at Buffalo. And uh, it's like, don't, not everything's about you guys. And that's when you can tell that they're, I mean, that was a stage when they were still arrogant. But anyway, 
He was part of that awful lineup. Let's go back to Married with Children, though. Yeah, this was this was good stuff, Stephen. I'm glad we have all this like sports stuff in here because I didn't know any of this stuff. Like, and then Joe Namath asks Al, "Are you a shoe salesman?" Al says, "Yeah." I love Johnny Bench. <laughs> Told you. <laughs> and that tells you how much money the show was paying whom that Joe Namath was getting paid the most because they're like, fine, we're paying you the most. You get to be the one who brings up the shoe salesman thing. <laughs> That's my guess. So, yes, he brings up the whole uh, shoe salesman deal, and we get thrown back. Al and Jefferson just cannot have fun. They got to bring up their st- stupid argument over this light beer commercial and they're back into their bugs and daffy see he said bubba i couldn't help overhearing you two and after sucking down 20 cold ones and a couple of warm ones my memory and my bladder have been jogged it was bubba smith thank you and that's the law talking if it was Billy Martin, I know because I have it on tape. If it was Bubba Smith, I know because I don't know anything except that. Billy Martin! Bubba Smith! Billy Martin! Bubba Smith! Billy Martin! And they actually do a whole, uh, what we did earlier, like, Bugs, Daffy, Bugs, Daffy, Daffy, Bugs, ha-ha! Uh, well, no, they're doing, well, they're doing the Billy. Well, yeah, but, know, uh, it, but I'm, just, I'm just quoting what it, it was in real life. Was I think Bugs we forgot to remember mention that Bubba Smith will be in a future episode shortly and he also played uh, Spare Tire Dixon in one of my all time favorite episodes Night, uh, uh, the night All Night uh, Security Dude Yeah. oh yes and I was going to get to him um, because uh, when they're doing their back and forth and I'm just going to call it the Bugs and Daffy thing back and forth but using the names of the respected people that they wanted Bubba uh Bubba, Mickey, Buggy, Mickey. Um, (laughs) Officer Dan, who just can't put that serve and protect for the betterment of society away, even after sucking down 20 cold ones and a few warm ones, comes in to solve the problem. Oh, guys, I know it. I know it. It's Bobby Smith and passes out, which makes me think and remember incorrectly that the answer was given because usually if someone gives a final statement before passing out, that's the answer. But it's not, nope. as Stephen pointed out. And the show decides to... Fellas, fellas, now, what are we fighting about? Here we are in the playground of the gods. We got bimbos on the tube. We got the law on the floor. We got sugar on our nuts. <laughs> Jefferson's. Who gives a rat's patoot who was in the first light beer commercial? He's right! Yeah! Especially since we all know it was Bubba Smith! Sometimes I wish I was back in the game where it's safe. You left the game? Two years after my knees did. camera! I got it! 
to remain <laughs> unconscious. We're going to go hard right now, because even though Al starts saying it doesn't matter, even though I win, and then <laughs> all it takes is just one middle-aged male punch, and this bar gets lit up by punches. Like, they go into... Man, Mary with Children has done fight scenes pretty funny, Hands, you know, a round of applause right now for every single one of these guys. This is a well choreographed, fun ass fight scene. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, it, this is really a double joke on this one because they're talking about the light beer. Was it Bubba Smith or was it um, uh, who, uh, Billy Martin? Bubba Smith, Billy Martin. That's also a play on the light beer commercials as well. Because they would get into an argument as to why is light beer better? Great taste or less filling? Great taste, less filling. Those were also commercials. Miller was the biggest competitor against Budweiser. It's two jokes being played out, not just one. That's true. And a little sidebar, I may not know sports, but I do know beer. And let me tell you, there are a lot of beer people out there that call the beer that I drink Budweiser, Miller, uh, Corona, uh, not Corona, huh, not anymore. <laughs> I can't afford that, the beer or the disease. Uh, but uh, what all the basically, I'll put them. And I hate this quotation, but it sums it up: piss beer. I don't like that because it said they all taste bad. They all taste like water and stuff. Not true, not true at all. No. And there's a big difference between Miller Draft and Miller Light. There is not so much a huge difference between Budweiser. And Bud Light. There is a difference, but it is not so huge that you're just like, wow, this is disgusting. So Bud Light actually solved the light problem, but there was a problem with light beers for a long time. They did have a very disgusting taste because you tasted the alcohol more and the hops less. And uh, hops is not something that a lot of people initially like at the first drink. That's why beer is an acquired taste, but it definitely it becomes a good taste. But there's always that bite to the beer. The bite you're tasting is the alcohol, and without that hops, you taste the bite more prominently. I don't. I don't exactly know what Bud Light did, but they were able to take the hopsy part out because the hops is where the carbs is. There's a lot in it. Check out the back of a Bud Light bottle, towards the back of a Budweiser bottle. We're talking like, what, the difference in like 90 to 100 carbs or something like that per beer, which is insane. Like, guys, if you're pushing 30 or higher and you still want to drink beer, you might want to stop drinking the craft beers and try to go towards a light one. That'll really trim that beer belly down. So, yeah, it's import important health information on Married with Children. It's time for no man to take a little break in the jiggly room. I'm the DJ, and I'm going to play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Married with Children. Well, when Thomas Jefferson was writing the Declaration of Independence, on the back he wrote this song. Well, I'm moving on up <laughs> to the east side. <laughs> to a 
But anyway, so Steve said this this fight goes crazy, and it ends the way a Married with Children episode should end. The men learn nothing, but have to lie about it. Well, did you learn your lesson? We have. <laughs> it was a pretty good sports trivia bar fight, though, eh, buddy? The best. Give me five. Oh, on, on second thought, give me one five times. Well, boys, we'll see you in about a week. We're going to see the Moving On Up tour in Milwaukee. Yeah, we bought a Sea America with the Jeffersons Rail Pass. It includes transportation, theater tickets, and a box lunch with both Lionels. <laughs> Get you anything before we go? Well, as a matter of fact, my pain medicine. Gotta run. See you later. Oh well, at least they're gone. We've got a game on the tube. And now, stay tuned for our 24-hour Jefferson's Marathon. <laughs> Starting with the Jeffersons go to Hawaii. Hey, hey now, kids. Hey now. Change the channel here! Oh my god, it's Wheezy in a bathing suit! <laughs> okay, so we. So for those of you who didn't hear in that clip, see in that clip, though, Al and Jefferson are wrapped up. Um, both their all their legs. Uh, Jefferson has both of his legs bandaged up. Al's are not equipped as well. He's got a neck brace on. Um, cut. Not not. I've seen Al way more bandaged than this. But the fact that Jefferson's equally as banged up is just makes it even better. Um, and the ladies are not as pissed off as they should be. I thought they were going to 
uh, emasculate or bring them down harder because... Well, in all honesty... They gaslit the hell out of them to this episode. Yeah. Well, I just kind of look at it this way. They kind of look at them and realize they're all banged up. They got what they're probably feeling is they got what they deserved. Mm-hmm. And ironically, they're still Al and Jefferson are like, that was a pretty good bar fight, wasn't it, buddy? You know, and they still um, were happy about it mm-hmm. until. Yes, absolutely. And those of you who just listened to the clip, you couldn't tell because they didn't say anything. The true victims, because nobody in this episode was really a victim. Al and Jefferson did get to go to their bar. They got to meet their heroes, Peggy and Marcy, uh, under false pretenses, because they weren't with who they thought they were with, got to see their performance and legitimately had a good time. It wasn't ruined. Who were the actual victims, Stephen? The sports bar. No, it was Kelly and Bud. (laughs) They they got shoved down there. They were probably punished by by Marcy and uh, Peggy for going along with something so stupid. Um, uh, They probably were not compensated at all by Alan Jefferson. And they were just shoved to the side. They were used as clowns. And they got, but this show always gives somebody who was used as a clown a little thing. Well, first, first, you got to remember where... uh... Peggy and Marcy, where are they heading? Moving on up tour to in Milwaukee. And they bought a train tour ticket, you know, so they can... Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're going on tour. They're actually going to the real tour thing. So they're they're off. Like, they're going bye-bye. And this is important because that means Al and Jefferson are kind of stuck where they are. Now, not normally... That wouldn't be too bad. They got, they got their bro. They, they each got a bro. They're on a comfy couch. The women are gone. They're, they got the TV. Uh-oh. That TV didn't just turn on by themselves. And because they're all bandaged up, they can't really do anything with the remote. Quietly and subtly, Kelly and Bud come down, snag that remote, flip it on, and you just hear the, the 24-hour Jefferson Marathon. <laughs> Starting with the Hawaii episode. And listeners, that was not a fat-shaming joke. That is Al being a jerk and seeing Wheezy in a bikini. And you know what? I don't think he said bikini. I thought he just said Wheezy in a bathing suit. And Wheezy in a bathing suit. And you know what? I don't recall seeing Wheezy in a bathing suit in those episodes, but I understand the joke. Uh, Jamie uh, said it very well a few episodes back that you can tell a sitcom is going downhill when their characters go to, let's say, England. Or let's say... (laughs) Or in this case... Hawaii. And I defended that off-air with you, Stephen, by saying that the Bundys, that doesn't really count because, A, they were tricked in going there. They didn't decide, hey, we're just going to go on vacation. And they go to a place where... The conventional watcher of a show could go to. It is conceivable. I could go to England for a few days. Well, not right now. Well, not right now, of course. Can't go anywhere. (laughs) But I could, money-wise, conceivably save up for a a weekend trip to England easily enough. Hawaii, I've looked up those prices back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and now. Hawaii is probably the most expensive place to vacation 
in all of America, non-continental and continent. It is insanely expensive. You are breaking the bank for years for a modern family to go to Hawaii. And if you're not breaking the bank, you are in a higher class structure. And even the Jeffersons, who were in a high class structure, they were, quote, moving on up. Even those episodes, they needed to find some way. They had to share the expenses with the Willises and have, like, uh, George mentioned something about a tax write-off, that they're technically going to meet with a couple uh, business people so they can write off the huge taxes that they're on this. So even they had to pussyfoot around the money. So this was totally a see what is it like a change of venue to give the show a little pep. So it is it's a boring couple of episodes. I always skip it. I don't remember it. It's forgettable. Like the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch went to Hawaii. Uh, who's the boss went to Hawaii. Uh, that was a boring one as well. It would be uh, equivalent to saying. Oh, we're going to have to watch an entire marathon of Married with Children. That's fine. Starting with the English episode. Played five, all three episodes played three times in a row. We would go, oh, God, we're trapped. Yeah. <laughs> or even worse, every Bundy has his birthday. Oh. oh or even no. worse, top of the heap. Uh, uh, I... Uh. I kind of like, I kind of like, okay, there you go. There you go. Here you go. Enemies. That one sucks. I could watch Top of the Heap. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, those were the bad ones. And just to mention something, I think we understand why Al wished to go to Dumpwater, Florida, as opposed to Hawaii, like uh, Bud and Kelly want to go. Um, why is that, Stephen? Well, less money. It's not going to cost them as much to go to Dumpwater, Florida. No, sir, Bob. Florida is insanely cheap. Uh, of course, you probably could why. be killed by the man who met Andy Griffith, but other than that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, when you think about it, where do all the college kids go for spring break? Daytona Beach. And why do they go to Daytona Beach and not Palm Springs or L.A.? Because Daytona Beach, even though it's uh, spring break central, it's part of Florida, which Florida is insanely cheap because it's a dirtbag state. I'm sorry, anybody who's living in Florida right now. I got family who lived in Florida. I lived in Florida. And let me tell you, it's a gross state. It is. It's, it's, it's hot. It's sticky. It's full of real hicks. And it's a transient state, too. So if you get pulled over in Florida, you're effed. So, mm-mm-mm. Well, my, my parents, this is before I was born. They, my dad was a doctor, and uh, he's retired now. But he did his internship or his residency in Miami, um, Florida. They hated it because of the humidity. They thought it was unbearable. Florida, I haven't been there in ages, so I'm not going to comment on it. You know what I'm afraid of more? I'm more afraid of the alligators. I would not want to live there if I'm worried about an alligator getting into my swimming pool or something like that. It happens all the time yeah. you know that you know the old myth about the alligators in the sewers well guess what that isn't true but not in the way people think it's not alligators in the sewers of new york it's alligators that get locked up because what happens is florida is a hurricane state yeah and there are drainage so most so there's a every house in florida has a sub basement 
that you can a lot of times you can't even access that unless you're the direct owner of the house um and even then you've got to get some if you buy the house you have to remember to get special permission to have locks put on that you have a key to because it's a it's a sub basement so it's a basement under your basement that's literally just a big stone outway area with a huge ass pipe on one side and another big ass pipe on the other side and the it's built so it's on a tilt. So when so when the flood is if the floodwaters come in, water can drain from one side to the other and come out through those pipes. Now through long periods of not being used, alligators like to make their nests inside of there. Makes sense. And but... there's a great movie that came out in 2019 called Crawl. If anybody on the Facebook group page has, follows me on Facebook and sees my posts, I watched it and reviewed it fairly recently. It's a really, really good movie that follows that premise of just gators in the basement. Definitely check it out. But yeah, like there's, there's I saw gators. that recently. I thought it was pretty good. I'm not going to say it was great, but it was fun. Oh, it's but it's so good. It's so simple. It's so like... Oh, come on, it's a gator. And I don't get jump scares too often, Steven. I'm desensitized to them. That had two jump scares that got me. Like, like I was just like, oh, man, I'm where are these gators going to appear? And then out of nowhere, bam, right through the right through the wall. Oh, it's so good. I think the point that got me was when they actually got into the house and they're trying to go up the stairs. And Anyway, but let's get back to Married with Children. <laughs> No, ma'am, we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app, and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Okay, Tyler, how many times are you going to go see the Jefferson's Moving On Up Tour? Up, you can go up to five times in rating Dances with Wheezy. Oh, man. Well, in real life, you know I would see that Moving On Up Tour as many times as possible. But for purposes of rating... I am going to see it four times, and I'm probably going to have too many beers and fall asleep through half of it on the fifth time. So four and a half times I'm going to see the Jeffersons Moving On Up tour. This episode um, is, and remember listeners, we're recording these out of, not completely in order. Uh, we're doing them every others. So the last one that me and Steven recorded earlier today was the um was the no chicken no check episode so following that one which i remember saying was not that high on dialogue and jokes this one was super strong i was having a hard time finding clips for this because there was just so many to use the a plot and b plot relate to each other so well and i loved the uh interplay with their guest stars a good old fight um alan jefferson get a good comeuppance but I feel like the moving on up tour was kind of left in the background to the sports bar. And I get that because you got all these sports guests. I bet if they got Sherman Hemsley, 
or if they had gotten uh, the lady who plays uh, Isabella uh, Sanford. Thank you, Isabella Sanford. I always forget her name. I'm so I feel so bad about that. But so I know just as much her? about TV that I do about sports. Let me give they, you that. There you go. Yeah, but yeah, like if they <laughs> if they had uh, if they had gotten those guys, which I'm thinking they might have, they tried to, they could have done more. But I feel like it was just left kind of like on pause while this while the sports thing was happening. So that's my half of a star away. But besides that, really, really good and a definite recommend for me. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Stephen? I'm going to give it – I will go see the Jeffersons moving on up to her five times. However, I'm going to trick Alex into going with my significant other so I can go to the sports bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. So, Alex, you're doomed. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and uh, I just thought this one had great jokes. It had the great interplay between uh, Al and Jefferson, and it had that Looney Tunes quality you talk about. I love seeing one of my all-time favorite catchers, Johnny Bench. You want to know something about catchers? Ask me. I probably know it. But uh, Ernie Banks, I like seeing him. Joe Namath, not so much. But I guess he was playing himself, so I, th- I guess that was okay. And, Stephen, how often do you see the big three American sports uh, teams being portrayed so choreographically together? Because when you really think about it, the top three American sports, and I think everyone agrees they're the top three, baseball, yeah. football, and basketball, you could not find three sports that are more different than in like what kind of athletic prowess is needed and what the motivation is and what the rules are and what kind of energy you're exerting like baseball it's all about precision coordination and timing basketball is all about grace and, and focus. um uh, stature and focus and stature and working very very well with uh teams that are moving very quickly and then football is literally – I love describing football without out of context to it, like an alien in my brain. Yeah, it's a bunch of guys. They get on huge bits of armor, and then they run full force at each other. And the point of the game is to see who cannot, who cannot get smashed into each other the most. Like, it's, it's an insane, differently different thing. And I just found it interesting that they had representation of all three of these sports working so well. All right, I said I was going, and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot (laughs) in front of some poor guy's face, I'll be there. And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards. Yeah, I'm back for another wrap up for an episode. Dances with Wheezy. Who could forget Carla and her disappearing vegetables? We did pretty good on the timing with the Halloween reference last month, but on November 11th, a Thanksgiving reference? 
it's pretty close. George and Wheezy. You know, I gotta say, I never watched one single episode of The Jeffersons. Just was never on, ever. Whenever I was watching TV, never thought to look for it, nothing like that, so... (laughs) Kelly mentions Beavis and Butthead, that's pretty badass. Al and Jefferson are in full best friends mode, with the high fives, the excitable dances, them being in their own world together. Really good stuff. This is, uh... All those times we were talking about leading up to this moment on the show. Who was in the first light beer commercial? Nah. Not very compelling, really, as a uh, through line for the episode. The sports bar was pretty cool. Cool to see all those wheezy heads in the garbage can, and then all the tuxedos getting thrown in there. The only thing scarier than that wheezy head is Marcy's hair. I mean, good God. Does she own a mirror? Funny looking at all those terrible-looking tiny TVs. Hard to imagine that that was a luxury 25 years ago, to see all those little boxes on the wall and thinking that you're really getting something out of it. Far cry from uh, what we have today. Officer Dan in the episode. Gotta love that, man. Officer Dan is badass. Even in this small capacity. The things they have sitting next to the wives in the theater when all the husbands replace their chair with uh, an object, uh, ducks, tires, uh, you know, like, all the craziest stuff. It's cartoonish, but hilarious. I just love that kind of stuff. I mean, the show obviously stopped trying to be serious at this point, and they stopped a while ago, but, uh, you know, like we said, was leading to things, just throwing it all out the window now. That that goes either way. You either take it for what it is or you don't. And at this point, you just roll with it, you know? When they take it that far in Season 8, it works. When they took it that far in 7, it didn't work a couple times. Seven's still a great season, but it didn't work a few times when they tried that throw-all-the-seriousness-out-the-window humor. But it works really uh, good in Season 8. Not saying this is a great episode, but Kelly getting a hickey from Marcy... That must fulfill some people's fantasies. The bar fight was not nearly as good as Al and Bud at the nudie bar fight. Bar. Bar fight. (laughs) Uh, This one just seems pretty lazy compared to that. Um, It was just mostly punches and weird, weird selling of the punches by the punchee. Just not, um, not that good. I kind of expected more at this point. You figure they did it better in the past. They should kick ass by now, right? Alan Jefferson sitting there with broken arms and a leg, and they can't change the channel for a 24-hour Jefferson marathon. Uh, pretty good ending. Reminds me of um, when Al was in a like a body cast or something like that, and then Buck bit the controller and uh, changed the channel on Al, and he couldn't change it back. You know, very reminiscent. That that old joke is back, um, but I guess it fits this episode. So, overall, I give this a 3 out of 5, you know? It's not a horrible episode. It has a lot of good uh, moments in it, you know? Good moments throughout. So, 3 out of 5, decent stuff. Not amazing, by any means. But, uh, it's an episode. That's Al, folks! That just about does it, it this does. episode, right? Next week, Annabelle and Matt will be back, and they will be reviewing Change for a Buck, directed by Amanda Beers. Lacking attention, Buck decides to run away from home, and the rest of the family doesn't discover that he's gone until a week later, which is at the time limit for dogs at the pound, 
where Buck winds up. Al then is torn between going with the family to look for Buck and going to the nudie bar with Jefferson for a wrestle till your raw night. Oh boy, that sounds like a real moral dilemma. Well, that's it for us here in the nudie bar. Until next time, remember, it was Matt Snell who was in the first flat beer commercial. New York Jets fullback in 1973. And remember, always wear a cup, but it doesn't protect you all the time. And I'm going to pour Steven another shot so he can forget about his memory of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Bye-bye. See you later, guys. The Jefferson uh, Married with Children podcast was recorded on tape before a studio audience. Mm-hmm.